The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Lord's Day that you have given us, this special day that you set aside each week for us to gather as your people, to worship you, to sing praises to you, to hear your word read and proclaimed. And we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we might worship you and be in your presence and to be with your people, that we might be encouraged. I pray, Lord, that all that we do today would be in the unity and the beauty of Christ as your body, the church. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us by your Spirit, that you would be pleased to meet us in our praises, in our prayers, in worship, and in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would join our hearts together as a fellowship of your people here at Lebanon. And Lord, we join our hearts together now and pray out loud the prayer that you gave your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal if you'd like to look there. This is a statement of our faith, so I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who come to Him by faith, hear these words of assurance from the book of Romans chapter 5. 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord. Turn in your hymnal to number 624. Through all the changing scenes of life, sing together. children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Good to see you all. We have a few more seats here. I wanted to ask you this morning, I've got a few questions for you. Uh, what is something that you are really afraid of? You fear. And cockroaches. Good reason. Good reason. Somebody else. Something that you're afraid of. James. Spiders. I think there are probably a few other people in the room that share that with you. Somebody else. Something you're afraid of. Clowns. Clowns. Okay. Kind of cover a range. Okay. The dark, the dark, yes. 
Well, in the Bible, there's something we're going to be talking about this morning in, in our scripture passage in Psalm 34, and I thought it might be helpful to talk about it. It's a, a, a fear that we should have, but it's not the same kind of fear of being afraid of spiders or, or cockroaches or even the dark. Um, the Bible says in Psalm 34 that we're to fear the Lord. And it's interesting that the Bible says this, because usually fear is something that you're afraid of. You don't want it to happen. You kind of dread it in your heart. But in the Bible, it says in 1 John, that perfect love casts out fear. So does that mean you're supposed to love spiders and cockroaches in the dark? <laughs> There's lots of ghosts <laughs> happening. So what does it mean? Likely... If you don't fear the Lord in the way the Bible says, then you probably don't fear Him enough. But it doesn't mean that you're supposed to be afraid of Him. As covenant children, you belong to the Lord. You are called to walk in God's ways. You're called to obey His Word. You're called to believe His promises that they're for you. In the Bible, to fear the Lord is actually something that God does for you. It's a way that He opens your heart in a special way to walk with Him. Without a healthy fear of the Lord, you won't obey Him. You'll actually be afraid maybe of getting in trouble. Are you ever afraid of getting in trouble? <laughs> a, few, a few honest souls this morning. Yes, absolutely. But the Bible says you don't have to be afraid of God in the way that you are afeared of maybe getting in trouble. To fear the Lord means to walk before Him, to have Him in reverence, to listen to His Word, and to walk in His ways. So when the Bible says, and when you hear read in a few moments, that you're to fear the Lord, it's like these words that it says in Proverbs, that to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does anybody know what the opposite of wisdom is in the Bible? Any ideas? Not fearing the Lord. Not fearing the Lord? What else? What's the opposite of wisdom in the Bible? Caleb? Foolishness. Foolishness. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So that's how you're most wrong about life and about this world. If you believe that God is not in it at all. And that you don't have to answer to it. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. That you learn, even at the ages that you are now, to walk before the Lord in fear and trust in Him. I'll pray for you. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. That it is good for us. That you remind us day after day of your great love in the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And I pray for our covenant children this morning that they would know, even at their ages now, what it means to fear you and to walk before you, to dedicate and devote their entire lives, their energy every day, to walking with you and knowing you. I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't have a fear of you as though they might get in trouble, but a fear maybe even perhaps of disappointing you or not honoring you the way that they should and loving you. I pray that you give them joy and delight in walking before you and in being with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read together Psalm 133. It's on page 834 in the Green Hymnal. I'm going to invite you to turn there. Page 834. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. 
Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 499, Rock of Ages. thank you for the privilege that it is to be gathered together here today and to be able to pray to you now that you, the God of the universe, the one who holds all things together in your hands, our life and our breath, the very heartbeats in our chest right now are because of your gracious provision for us and that you condescend to hear us as we lift up our hearts to you in prayer. You are with us. Not simply to hear us, but your word says that you answer. Lord, these things are too wonderful for us to understand or even to imagine. But we thank you and praise you that the promises in your word are sure and true. And they are right for us to believe in and to walk in them by faith. Lord, I thank you that we can offer up prayers for one another together here this morning. That we may pray for brothers and sisters. That our hearts may be joined together with those who at this time in this life are going through deep sorrows and sadness and dark valleys that are difficult. 
Lord, I pray that you would be with those in our church family specifically today who are walking through difficulties that they have an experience of being very lonely, very much separated from those they love and are not able to enjoy the embrace of being with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help those in our church family who are going through trials and difficulties now to know that their brothers and sisters are walking through it with them, praying for one another, lifting them up before the throne of grace. Lord, I pray that you would also provide for them, give them sustaining faith in you, that even in the face of difficulty, in the face of diagnoses that are hard to understand or even be able to to swallow, Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that you are with them. And I pray, Lord, that your great and precious promises would be real to them in these times. Lord, we lift up to you our missionaries. We thank you, Lord, that we may participate in the spread of the gospel around this world that you have made and that you give us the opportunity to give towards it as a church family. Lord, I do pray for Tom and Lucy Wright that you would continue to have your hand upon them and on their family. Lord, I pray for their ministry that you would give them success, that you would provide for their financial needs. And Lord, I pray this also for the MA Disaster Response Ministry and our participation in it, that you would use it for the sake of the kingdom, that as men and women go and encounter people who are sometimes at the lowest point in their life when they have lost everything, that you would help them to see through the power of the gospel that Jesus gave everything that they might have life and life eternal. Lord, I pray that you would use this ministry for the sake of the spread of the kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, that we could offer up prayers to you now and that you hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 34. This morning we're going to be reading verses 11 through 16. We're continuing a series that we began last Sunday uh, for this summer entitled Being Still in the Busy. Being Still in the Busy. Psalm 34, I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? And loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God abides forever. This morning's sermon is entitled, The Lie. This week we're returning again to Psalm 34 and hear the gospel of grace through David's mouth as he shares here in Psalm 34 as he praises God for deliverance. Deliverance that God gave to David in a real scenario in his life when he was on the run, he was afraid, And God provided for him in a very special and particular way. As a reminder, this psalm has as its backdrop, you can look at this maybe this afternoon, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 12 to 15, where David fled to Gath. And as he went to Gath, he thought, you know, these people have heard of me. 
They've heard of the victories that my God has given me, and maybe if I go into town and they know I'm King David, they will try to get me to work for them. So he acts like he's a madman, and the king of Gath wants none of it. Apparently he has all his fill of people who have lost their minds, and so he's ready for David to leave. Please go somewhere else. Last week we saw and discussed in verses 1-10, through 10, the sermon was entitled, Boasting in the Lord. Not boasting in ourselves or in our accomplishments or in our strengths, but in having our whole identity, everything that you are, wrapped up and defined by your union with the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father's great love for sinners like you and me. That's what David boasted in and he tells us to go and see that the Lord is good. He told the story of how God delivered him and he wanted us not just to see this story and be amazed at what God did in his life. He says in verse 8, Taste and see. You walk with the Lord. See how He is good and faithful to you. Walk with Him in your family. Walk with Him in your job. Go with Him as you spend your week. And so I want to ask you this morning, how did you see God, your Heavenly Father, be faithful to you this last week? Did you receive an answer to prayer? What promise are you clinging to? What promise did you walk with last week? Did you remind yourself of day in and day out, moment by moment? This is where each of us live every day. Every day God invites us to walk with Him in His presence with His Word in hand and in our hearts. Promises that He makes to us as our Heavenly Father. And we are invited to walk with Him and to be shaped by those promises. Otherwise, I believe we're susceptible, if we're not walking with His promises in hand and believing them by faith, we are susceptible to believing lies. And so this morning, the sermon is entitled, The Lie. I want to look at this passage under three headings, very simply. Number one, the Christian's walk. Number two, the lie. And number three, God's gracious supply. So number one, the the Christian's walk in verses 12 through 14. David is, is very clear. It's our duty to serve and obey God. To open His Word and to read it and to see everything that God says we are to believe and to do about ourselves, but primarily about Him. What we're to believe about God and how we should obey and walk in His ways. Martin Luther described the fear of the Lord this way. As we see what David says here in verse 11, he says, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. I'll teach you what it means. It's not a threat. It's a a kind thing. I'll teach you what the fear of the Lord means. Martin Luther distinguished between two sides of the fear of the Lord. Maybe think of it like a coin. One is the fear of judgment, and the other the fear of disappointment. The fear of judgment, Luther said, is the one who sees God as a judge, high and lifted up, sitting on a bench, and cowering before Him as a slave does to a brutal master, just waiting for you to make a mistake. And you cower because you know judgment is coming. And you fear it because judgment is coming all the time. And you don't know whether His rules will change, whether His ways will shift. And what was acceptable yesterday is now condemned today. And so you wonder, am I sitting waiting for judgment? And you know, the interesting thing is that this kind of living that many people do before the Lord, it sounds obedient and it might actually look obedient. I do these things because I don't want God to judge me. Or I do these things so that He won't take away my loved ones or these things that I hold precious and dear in this life. 
Luther also said there's a, another side of that coin, the fear of disappointment. This might look like careful living. Thinking about and looking at God with awe and, and love and respect. And thinking in your heart, I don't want to displease the Lord. I don't want to cause Him to, to shrink His shoulders down and, and be displeased with the way that I live. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have good understanding. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 33 the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is not the beginning of the Christian life that you set aside. It's actually something that you pick up every day. And because our hearts are filled with sin, because we have a sin nature, the fear of the Lord is slippery to us. You might grip it one day and it slides right out of your hands the next. You think, I've got life. I've got it down. Now I finally understand not only do I know about life in this world, but now I know a little bit about my own heart. And at the moment that you think you have it, it's the moment it slips right out of your hand. Because you don't have the strength to hold it. The truth is, God is both of what Luther saw in the fear of the Lord. God is a judge. And He promises judgment for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. That's what David describes at the end of this section in verse 16. That God would cut off the remembrance of the evil people from the earth. There's a good reason why people fear judgment. Because God built us in such a way that we know there is judgment for sin. We know in our consciences we will answer for the things that we've done. Not to one another and certainly not to ourselves but to the living God. The One who created everything. And He will punish sinners in hell forever. The Bible teaches that. And to not tell you that is not loving. It's actually lying to you. That's in the Bible. It's truth. It's not my words. It's the Lord's. But he's also, it's also true that God gives grace to His children as a father. To those who trust in Him. It probably is a good idea for us to have a fear of disappointing the Lord of walking in ways that are displeasing to Him. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says that the promises of God are held by us by faith because they're given to us through Him by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christian's walk is to be characterized by fearing the Lord, but also by living righteously before Him. And I think this is kind of where you see the separation of the, the sheep and the goats, so to speak. You might see a group of people who tend to be good churchgoers. They're religious that way. They make it to church every Sunday. They're there for worship. They might even be people who give an offering or from time to time might volunteer for something. But here's where some of the rubber meets the road in a different way. Because what David is speaking about here is not your religious life, what you offer to God in worship. But he's showing you your everyday life. He's saying that to fear the Lord means that the Bible passages you read on Sunday inform what you do on Monday through Saturday. He's saying that there are three things in verses 13 to 14 that should characterize living righteously before the Lord. There is a way to live before Him and before others. He says to keep your tongue from speaking evil and deceit. From speaking evil and deceit. So it's actually the things that you say that show whether you live before the Lord this way or not. 
So I ask you this morning, not in a condemning way, but in a way for you to sort of look at your own heart and say, how's, how's my gossiping? How's my lying? How's my complaining about the Lord? All of those things. Gossiping and lying and complaining. Complaining about my station in life or complaining about this stage in life or what the Lord has given me in my circumstances. James has much to say about the use of the tongue. James chapter 3, verses 6-10, through 10, he says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And here's, I think, a word to the religious person. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who has been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. He's saying very plainly the way that you use your tongue shows whether or not the things that you profess to believe are actually things that you've laid hold of in your heart. Not that you might make a good profession of faith and read the Apostles' Creed each Sunday. But how is it informing how you live? Is it putting a guard about your mouth according to God's Spirit? Not something that you do by exerting force. But are you walking in the Spirit? Are there things that you know you shouldn't say and you are holding them in by God's grace? I don't need to let that come out of my mouth because if I do, I don't know if I'll ever be able to keep it in again. If I, if I cross that line, I don't think I can ever do it again. You won't be able to get the toothpaste back in the tube. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He says also, not only do you keep your tongue from speaking evil and deceit, and partly this is not only about voicing things about God, it's also voicing things about others. But he says to turn away from evil. To turn away from it. He doesn't say you're not ever going to be in a place where you might be tempted to walk in evil. He says to turn away from it. The duty of the believer, we're commanded in God's Word, the duty of the believer is to run away from sin. Not to dabble in it. You shouldn't reason with it. You shouldn't console it or rationalize it. As a believer, you run from sin and into the arms of your Savior by faith. And that is a battle, dear young people, that you will face day after day after day. Adults, we certainly can testify to you. And not only the younger, maybe lighter colored hairs in the room, but all of us can tell you, dear young people, learn to mortify sin in this life at a young age and to walk with the Lord and believe Him by faith. It is a battle you will fight the rest of your life by faith with Him. Lastly, he says, to seek peace and to pursue it. James chapter 3, verse 18. James continues to speak about living with one another. He says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there is actually a blessing and a hope and actual fruit you can see in relationships when you pursue and make peace. He doesn't say that you, you write off what people do. He doesn't say you don't call sin, sin. You don't call things out. You don't point out transgressions. He's saying that it's God's people, if you are walking with Him, you are actually pursuing peace. So you are running to brothers and sisters. You are making amends. You are pointing out failures. Not for the sake of saying, I'm offended, you hurt me. 
but so there might be peace in that relationship because you know what it's like to be at enmity with other people and an enmity with God. And you want the peace in the relationships that you enjoy to be similar to the peace that the Lord Jesus won for you. It says to seek peace and to pursue it. I think it's important for us even in the church to remember this. To remember that we've taken vows to one another to guard and to protect the peace and purity of the church. For us not to have a divisive uh, idea in our minds or a divisive spirit in us. And I think the Bible's plain that to be a divisive person is to be not in step with the Spirit. To want to stir things up is to not be walking with Jesus, but living the law of love with one another. It's required in the church. It assumes sometimes we're going to rub each other the wrong way. And the first thing that rises up is I'm offended. And I'm hurt. And I can't believe they would say that or do that or not say that or not do that. But the law of love says we're not easily offended. We're not to be so quickly set off. A godly person actually desires peace and they're willing to protect it for the sake of the peace and purity of the church. So that's number one, the Christian's walk. This is what David is talking about, day-to-day living. Number two, the lie. And I think this is the most harmful, the most insidious thing that you could, you could think about doing in this life. And maybe that seems like a bit of an over-the-top statement, but I believe it's true. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, you have the, the first insinuation and the first belief in the Bible that what God says may not be true. That the world that He created wasn't good enough. That His commands aren't right and righteous. And that if people walk in them, they will enjoy the fruit of God's provision. Maybe for some of us, we believe these kinds of lies. That I have a right to live my life on my own terms. That I know best about how to live. God's Word is meant to be a help, but it's not meant to be an authority in my life. If there are things that I want to do, I should follow my heart. Those are lies from the pit of hell. And they were first told in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were there. When God said, don't eat from the tree. And the serpent enters. But before I get ahead of myself there, I think it's important to remember Genesis 1.21. It says, God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. So man and woman, they're together, the animals, His creation, everything that He provided for them for food, everything that He gave them. In His gracious work of creation, He gave them for their good. Everything they needed. Beauty, provision, and fellowship. It was their duty to walk before Him in faith. To trust His provision. To enjoy His fellowship. Can you imagine walking through the Garden of Eden in the presence of God? Enjoying fellowship. Not knowing what it is to be in sin to have that and to lose it. I, can, I cannot imagine. And they were to obey His commands. It was good and right for them to live before Him and obey. And here you get to Genesis 3, enter Satan, the true enemy of God's people. The Bible calls him the dragon, the deceiver, and the accuser of the brethren. And he says some things to Eve. It's good to question what God commands in His Word. You should have a a healthy inclination towards wondering if these things are right or true. Doing what God forbids, Eve, is not going to result in what He said. 
And actually untold wonders await you on the other side. Just give in. It's okay. The pressure's too hard. You can live like you want, Eve, and make up for it by your worship, by your church attendance. Do what you want. You can make up for it on Sunday. You can have God on your own terms. Aren't those lies? They're pretty easy to spot reading them like that, but they are difficult to spot in our own hearts when we sometimes relax the commands of God and we elevate the things that we want and we think, well, I can have both. I can have the God of the universe who loves me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and yet on Monday through Saturday or even on Sunday afternoon, I can live how I want. I can pacify my desires. I can treat people the way I want to. I can read His Word or I can set it aside. Here is Satan. He hates you. And he hates the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants you to be separated. And he hates that you love the brethren. That you love brothers and sisters in Christ. And he wants any opportunity to drive wedges. So I want to ask you a few questions. How about you? Is there an appeal in these thoughts? Are you tempted to take a shortcut or a detour? To hear God's word and say, well, okay... I hear that, but I don't think that's for me. Or I hear what God's saying about this part of my life, whether it's your finances or, or your relationships or maybe your sexual identity or anything else. I hear what you're saying, but I think I need to take a pause and step back. I know better than God how to be happy. Or I don't really prefer what He says. And wouldn't you say that anybody in this room would raise their hand and say, there are times when you read verses and say, I don't really prefer that. But isn't it also a sign of wisdom and maturity to say that my preferences are not the end of everything? There are times when you may be uncomfortable, where you don't like it, where it doesn't feel right. But actually in the Bible, to walk before the Lord is more important than feeling good. To obey is better than sacrifice. Or maybe you would say, I should be able to make the choices in my life. It's my right to pursue my own journey to fulfillment. It's necessary in order to find out who I am. For a child of God, you've already been told who your identity is. And for every child of God, if you've been baptized as a believer, you went through a naming ceremony where the Lord Jesus' name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was put upon you. You have a name. You have an identity. You don't have to go somewhere and find out who you are. Read the Scriptures. It tells you. You are a blood-bought child of the living God. A son or daughter of His. And there's nowhere you can go to go find yourself. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Or maybe you think this way. If things did get really bad, I could restrain myself without doing any real, lasting, significant damage. What the height of pride in our hearts to think, I can hold it back. I can hold it back. The gates of hell can't prevail against me. I can can make these things go away. It's a lie. It's foolishness. So, number one, the Christians walk. Number two, the lie. Number three, God's gracious supply in verses 15 and 16. It's true. It's absolutely true in the Bible. God knows best. And His commands and His laws are good for us to follow. Obedience is required for Christians. Yes, you've been set free from the law, but you haven't been set free from walking before the Lord in obedience. It's good and right to obey Him. 
It's necessary. But not only that, and it is good that you obey. And children, you absolutely should obey your parents. And adults should obey the Word of God and the things that God's Word has clearly said do and the things that He said to not to do, we should avoid. But not only does this psalm teach that God knows best about how His people should live, it also says something that is absolutely wonderful. Something that your heart desires, even if you don't recognize it. It's that the deepest desire and longing of your heart is satisfied in Him. Whether you know it or not, look at verse 15. Maybe you don't recognize this about yourself just yet. But it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. Do you know this, dear believer, that your greatest riches are that you have the privilege of knowing Him and being known by Him? The Bible here says that His eyes and His ears and His face are involved. Dale Ralph Davis says in his commentary on Psalm 34 that it is as if the Heavenly Father bends His whole being to His people's welfare. He says that His eyes are on the righteous. If you're wondering, do I matter to anyone? Does anyone really care? You see that here. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. You read that, you should be saying to yourself as you consider God's Word, I do matter to someone. He cares. I belong to Him. He's the lover of my soul. The eyes of the Lord are on me. And one of the things about the eyes of the Lord, and I think this is exactly where the enemy loves to pick at us. He likes to tell us that things in the future might be different if we do things differently, if we follow our hearts. And yet the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are on us. The eyes of the one who knows the end from the beginning. Who knows the places that we might go that would truly hurt our soul. The places that we might go and make decisions to do things that are not right. He knows the end from the beginning. He also says that his ears are open to their cry. It doesn't mean that he just hears everything. It means that he hears the prayers of his people. He never tires. And he's not annoyed or indifferent with your prayers. You need to believe that and to remember it. The Lord Jesus won these promises for his people. Only God himself could undo the curses of Genesis 3. Only Jesus coming does this. You can't earn it. You can't win it. And praise God, it means you can't lose it. In Christ. Hear the truth today that it was God's pleasure to make you His son or His daughter. And it's His delight to walk with you in and out of every day, in every circumstance of your life, that He might receive glory from everything. If you still have your Bible with you, turn to Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm just going to read verses 2 through 4 and point out just a couple things. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Peter says in his greeting and introduction, grace and peace. These are not throwaway words. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. Grace be to you and peace. Peace with God. May the peace of God rest on your heart. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You have been given because Jesus won them for you. Great and precious promises. Are you clinging to them today? What promises are you believing? What promises are guiding you through the difficulties that you are walking through? And no doubt many of you in this room even have been distracted in your mind with something that is yet unresolved in life. What am I going to do? I think this is the only way that we have hope as parents to see our children go out into the world because we believe the promise that Jesus loves them more than we do. I can let my children go because even if I'm gone, He holds them. Even if I'm not there, He's guiding them by His Spirit. That's part of the hope we have. But He says, grace and peace multiplied to you in the knowledge of the Lord. So you don't get to have those apart from Him. Those are His gifts to His people. This, I believe, is part of the point of what David is saying about being able to truly rest in the Lord Jesus. I told you this sermon series is entitled Being Still in the Busy. Here, David is speaking about true rest and life and peace. And there might be times and seasons when in order for you to have those things, you need to get away and cease from activity. But I believe the peace that David is speaking about here that Jesus offered is a kind of peace that you have in the midst of the battlefield of everyday life. And you need it. Whether you know it or not, you need this kind of rest. You need it for your soul. You need it on the hard days and you need it on the good days when you think you have life down. And the question is, will I believe and cling to these promises or will I give in to lies that the enemy wants me to believe? This is good and right for you to think about. Sit and consider God's Word. Believe His promises. They are true. And pray that He would keep the enemy's lies away from you and your family and our church family. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You promised that it would not return to You void. It will always accomplish what You desire it to. And I pray, Lord, by faith that You would cause Your Word to do exactly what You have planned for it to do today. I pray that You would protect each of us as individuals, as families, as children, as young people, adults. Lord, I pray that You would help us to know that Your Word is good, that it doesn't change. And even though much of the the shifting sands of our culture may say that things change, Your Word does not. We pray that You would help us to stand upon the rock that is Christ, even if the storms do dash upon the rocks of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's Word by singing hymn number 335, Gracious Spirit, Dwell With Me.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. thank you that we may participate in worship by giving back to you our tithes and our offerings that you have so richly blessed us and given us this command that we should give as a sign of our trust and worship of you. Lord, we thank you that we can. We pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of your glory and your name being spread throughout this world that you have made that lost souls would be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we may do this in Jesus' name. Amen.
receive the benediction of our Lord from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.